to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with the nerve at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. Today, I am joined by Josh Kaplan, the Board Game Captain. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we've partnered up. We've been doing Game Night Insights. We just did our third episode last night from when we were recording this. Yes, indeed. I thought it went quite well. We were discussing that the the title of the episode was Stop Making Games About Cthulhu, which you thoroughly disagreed with me on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because I said that the theme is overdone, and you said you didn't think it had, had reached uh, saturation yet. So uh, it was a good episode. If anyone wants to go check it out, it's up on my YouTube channel, uh, Board Game Captain, Captain Spot with a K. And I thought, I thought it was a really good episode. I thought it went really well. Yeah, it was fun. And we explored other IPs or other public domain uh, IPs that could be used instead or or ones that are already being pretty overused or, or uh, approaching the brink of overused. Yeah, it was a really good discussion. Yeah, we discussed, uh, we talked about things that other people thought might be a bit overused, like zombies and and Robin Hood and such, yeah. uh, and Sherlock Holmes. And then we, yeah, we talked about a lot of great ones, which I won't ruin in case anyone wants to check it out, that we thought are underused that are free for anyone to use. And for some reason aren't getting enough attention. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. So go check that out on YouTube. Uh, and you get to see my face instead of hearing just my voice. There you go. Some incentive. Indeed. And, and that makes it far more visually appealing for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> you can see the shelves behind me. It's funny. Cause in the podcast, a lot of times we'll make like visual references, but it's like, we kind of have to describe it. But we don't go all out on describing things. It's just like, yeah, listeners just don't get to see what we see. So you guys know who are listening and can't see our beautiful faces right now. We're both male models, and yep. we are just gorgeous. Exactly. <laughs> just imagine Long, that. luscious locks. Yeah, I look like Fabio, but better looking. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like Ryan Reynolds. Exactly. But better looking. But better looking, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> way, exactly. Way more charming. Oh, wait, no, wait. They can still hear me. And I have a constant fan going, so my hair just blows in the wind. <laughs> uh, well, where did you get your name, the board game captain with a K? Ah, so, well, I mean, a lot, a lot of people uh, who who know my my last name, the fact that my last name is Kaplan, and then I spell captain with a K, so that uh, those who are uh, English majors may know the concept of a portmanteau and my... Um, 
my channel name is a portmanteau of the rank captain and my last name Kaplan. Uh, this is actually just because essentially of a nickname that I've had for a while. A lot of people at work had nick. I don't remember who first did it, but someone had nicknamed me Cappy. And Cappy kind of got shortened to Cap'n, almost like Cap'n Crunch, you know, as a short version of Captain. And from that, I, I when I was coming up with the channel name, I was trying to think of something interesting. Uh, when I was originally making my channel, I, I was like, oh, I got to come up with a, a catchy name. And at the time, I was going to call myself the board game Duke. Uh, the reason was I wanted to have it sort of tie into my name on Board Game Geek. And on Board Game Geek, I'm the Duke of Kestrel. So I was like, oh, I'm going to make it the Board Game Duke. And that'll be similar to the Duke of Kestrel. And I was like, oh, let me Google uh, Board Game Duke and see if anything already comes up. And of course, the board game named the Duke came up. And that's all you saw when you Google the board game Duke. And I don't know why I didn't think of that because I own the Duke. And I was like, oh, this is – no, I can't do this. This isn't going to work. So then I, I was like, oh, why don't I do something based on the fact that a lot of people call me Cappy or Cap'n? And I came up with the board game Captain, but changing the first letter. And I Googled that and nothing came up. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. So I, I, I went with that. And, and it's just it, – it's worked for me. It's, it's memorable. It sticks in people's minds. Uh, and, you know, you get that kind of Toys R Us effect with the first letter being different kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Uh, if you Google board game captain, do you come up? Like yes. If you if if you Google board game captain with a K, a ton of stuff about me will come up. And if you if you Bing it as well, I've done both just to be curious. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that which which is something that was not out when I made the channel. The only thing that comes up that is not really related to me is uh, the board game captain is dead the captain is dead does oh, pop up yeah. but uh, but but it's it's actually further down the list as long as you spell it with a k as long as you spell board game yeah. captain with a k it's not the first thing to come so it's still okay <laughs> nice <Yeah. laughs> that is that's well done i i i know it i know the googling of board game uh, related names and and ideas because i've done two podcasts now well Technically, I guess I have three, and it's like Googling, and then when you do podcasts, you go on all the a couple of different podcast apps, and you like search the name and see if you can find something unique. It always stinks if you come up with a great name, and then you're like, oh, someone's already using it. Yeah. And I was going to say, sometimes you find out, sometimes you come up with a great name, and then someone else decides to use it later because they didn't check, and they kind of like ruin it on you. And it's not like it's not like any of us tiny little small time creators could hire a lawyer to send a cease and desist to somebody or anything. <laughs> yeah, you just sort of contact them and be like, hey, you know, I'm already using that name. Could you could you not? <laughs> but that's not like they're under any obligation. But yeah, that, that kind of thing does happen a lot in the small creator space, little YouTube oh, yeah. channels and podcasts. It's it's pretty frequent. Yeah, it's and it's like yeah, no big deal. I think for the most part, as long as. I don't know that it is weird though. Like I know that some board game uh, designers have had like been designing a game and they're very public about what their game is and what it's called. And then all of a sudden somebody else like comes up with something. That's basically the same name. That's the same name. Yeah. And yeah. Some of and, the same premise. Well, and, and also just by happens, like just by random chance that happens a lot Yeah. in general. Like I was talking to an indie designer 
who is working on a game that was uh, going to have a name uh, very similar to Terraforming Mars, and then Terraforming Mars came out. Um, it was almost the exact same name. There was like slight difference, and then they had to had to immediately go into a brainstorming session about like, okay, what am I going to change the name of my game to? Because um, someone already took terraforming mars and if i if i keep it the same it's it's gonna be almost identical and that's just yeah. really not gonna work oh yeah well another thing is when i was googling names or uh, you know looking up podcasts there was one name that i really really liked and i can't even remember what it was now and i found a podcast and i was like oh it's already a podcast and then i looked more at it and it was like the last episode that had aired was like 2016 or something and i was just like should oh. I use it? Should I Should not? I? Yeah, like that gets iffy to me. Um, so, someone did yeah. actually, uh, believe it or not, reappropriate. Uh, they didn't know because they didn't know it had existed. I had a short run um, series on my channel that was called uh, Tabletop Mic Drop. And then um, Angela, who was in that series, uh, messaged me that someone had started using that same name. But we had we had abandoned the series ages ago, and I talked to the person. They seemed totally cool, and they weren't doing anything like controversial. So there wasn't like any any worry that it was people were going to think it was associated with us. So I was like, yeah, fine, just use it, whatever. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> you know, we're not using <laughs> the name anyway, and you're not. And, and it's not like I mean, they weren't they weren't posting like hateful things or anything. It was totally fine. Yeah, that would be the worst case scenario, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's just like oh no, I promise, different. They're different. <laughs> Yeah, that would be the worst case scenario. Is if someone someone used the same name you did and did uh, like racist stuff, and then everybody thought they were associated with you, that would that, that would be absolutely yeah. awful. And then what do you do? Because like you can change the name of, of whatever you're doing going forward, but there's still the old ones where you said the name all over. That 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 is, I think, the biggest worry. Yeah, like if somebody was just like, "I'm Captain Board Game." <laughs> Captain with a K, you know, like yeah. And here's yeah. a bunch of racists uh, and. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I, I think you're going to be giving me nightmares after yeah. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> they say like a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff, and you're just oh, like, God. oh no. <laughs> okay, nobody do that. <laughs> yeah, please don't. No. <laughs> I mean, I've been pretty liberal over here, right? Like, I, I think listeners of the show know my stance. So I don't think Fair you'll much. have anybody that's just like listening to this to, well, that'd be really spite listening to this being like, oh, I'm going to show this like. Hate listening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to own them libs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Fair enough. There was so, actually a weird side thing. Sorry. Tangents. Oh, go ahead. They uh, there was this recent like study they did uh, where they paid a bunch of Fox News watchers, right viewers. Oh, I saw this. Yeah, to like watch CNN for a month, and it and it, it, it deprogrammed the, them. Yeah, it deprogrammed it, it, them. It deprogrammed them. Well, because the thing is, so um, it, it well, God, we're getting ludicrously off topic talking yes. about new, news <laughs> and and politics, which we probably should get back to gaming. But, but yeah. yeah, no, I mean, that, that's the thing is everyone sitting in their own little echo chambers, right wing or left wing, uh, has this tendency not to consider our other points of view simply because they don't experience them, which is why I think it, it's good for everybody to occasionally go look at the other other perspective just to see, like, are some of my opinions only based on the fact that I'm only hearing one perspective? It's a good idea to do. 
100%. Get outside your echo chamber and hear what other people have to say. I think think that's kind of important for human growth. Yeah. I I always do the empathy exercise of like, just replace this word with something else, you know, like, and how would that make me feel if it was like, uh, I don't know. Fair I don't enough. have a, an example off the top no, of my get, head. I get what you mean. And I'm sure people who are listening get what you mean as well. But we are getting ludicrously off yes, topic. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's talk about your, your channel, uh, The Board Game Captain. How long have you been doing it? Oh, that's a good question. I, it's been a number of years now. Uh, so I'm trying to th- I think 2016, maybe 2016, 2017, somewhere around there was when I started, which I, uh, I started my channel on a whim. It, it, I had done no prep work. Uh, it, like a lot of people, I, I see this a lot that a lot of people will do a lot more prep work than I did for starting my channel. Um, I was waiting for Gen Con to happen one year. And I love Gen Con. I go every year. And on the build-up to Gen Con, I had been reading all of the anticipated games list on Board Game Geek, and I had been watching a ton of videos on said games, and I've been I've been I've been just binging tabletop content on YouTube. Um, really, really giving lots of people lots of numbers for views, like crazy amounts. And I mean, I, I was noticing there was this crazy range in how much effort and how much production quality people put into their stuff. You had stuff at the high end, which was incredibly well produced, but then you had stuff that was very basic. That was just somebody with like their laptop cam and, and just talking into the laptop cam and the laptop mic. And I was like, I could do that. I was like, anybody could do that. That's easy. So I decided to kind of, um, just see how, how difficult is it to make a YouTube channel? Is it, is it easy? Is it hard? So I went and I looked into it and 15 minutes later I had a YouTube channel. So it's easy, very easy to do. Uh, and I recorded my first video just like using, it was either my laptop cam or the cam on an iPad. It was like very basic. And then I recorded a second video and before you knew it, I was going. And then my, my, um, growth has been, a slow process of, as I'm doing it, realizing, okay, I'm actually getting some people to watch. I need to upgrade my equipment. I need to upgrade my software. What are some good things to do? So slowly over time, then I got a proper camera. My proper camera, though, had a really terrible mic, so the sound wasn't very good. So then I upgraded to a good mic. Then I eventually upgraded to, to nice editing software. Then Angela over at Board Game Grand and Girly Gamer, she recommended to me uh, some really nice intro software to make intros to my videos. And slowly over time, I've just been sort of like learning as I go. And building it up and getting getting uh, better and better at, at what I do. And I mean, there got to be a point where I was getting big enough and I was getting enough views that uh, companies started saying, hey, would you like to review our game? We saw you reviewed this other game of ours. And I started getting sent review copies. And then I started getting uh, press passes to go to conventions and getting to go in for free. And I mean, it's 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 been a slow process. And, and one of the things I think is most interesting about that is that I started with with no prep. The only prep I did was was figure out that the name wasn't being used. I didn't have a proper camera. I didn't have a proper mic. I just jumped in with both feet and I went. And I have seen so many other people do 
tons of prep. Like you see their first video, they've done tons of prep. They've sunk money into a nice camera. They've sunk money into a good microphone, good editing, done all the research on how to do all that. They do their first video. It doesn't get a million views because your first video, no matter how much prep you're going to do, is not going to blow up. It's just not. It's, it's ludicrously unlikely for it to happen. And they get disheartened and they stop making videos. I've seen so many channels where I stumble across them and they make like five videos or less. And they just stop and you see like their last video was, was a year ago. And, and with me, I was like, let me start this. Let me just see how easy it is to do with what I already have. And I'll slowly improve. And while I do look back on those early videos and cringe at the poor quality, I think that's a big part of why I'm still going though, is because I just jumped in and then improved on the fly. It was like on the job training. I just kept going. I kept getting better stuff, watching videos on how other content creators did things on, on what kind of products they used and slowly upgraded. And I think if I had done the bunch of prep and been disappointed in my first couple videos views, I probably wouldn't still be going like I am now. I totally agree. A lot of times like I'll see people on Twitter or people will talk to me about like, oh, I want to start a podcast or a channel or something. Like, do you have any advice? And it's just like, just start. That's, yeah. that's your number one thing is like, just get going. Don't worry about your equipment because you could buy a $200 microphone and then you could do two or three episodes and be like, you know what, this isn't for me or, you know, like just, just go with what you have and, and explore it from there. And if you love it, you love it. Like here I am, you know, like I've upgraded my microphone like two or three times Yeah. at this point, I should have just bought a really nice expensive mic uh, and, and had a, I still want to upgrade it again. <laughs> But you don't know. You don't know right at the beginning, like what yeah. you want. And the, and and again, if you do, if you're doing a ton of work before your first video, you will be super disappointed in the numbers of your first video. But if you just jump in with very little work before your first video, and you get ten views, then you're like, oh wow, I got ten views, and I barely did anything, <laughs> and it's great. And and that's how it was for me. Like I had gotten my first ten views, and I was like, wow. I can do this. This is doable. I can put more work into my next video and more into the one after that and just, you know, just keep going. And, and yeah, and that, it definitely worked out for me in that regard. Um, it's been, it's been a slow grind to my current, uh, subscriber status, which actually, let me just take a quick look. I am currently at 3,817 subscribers, which is by no means huge. Uh, it has taken me a long time to build up years to build up to that amount. I'm at a, a fairly steady pace of subscriber growth right now. And lately I've been at a, a, a level of growth in my views and viewership hour, uh, hours where the last few months has been constantly growing, which I think is fantastic. So, but it took a while to get there. And with YouTube, because YouTube is such a, a well-established medium, if you're starting now, your growth will be slow. It's going to take a while because there are so many people out there covering whatever topic you want to cover already it's going to take a while for people to discover that you exist and that's just that's just how it is so yeah so but um but yeah i agree with you 100 big recommendation you want to be a content creator you want to get your stuff out there just jump in and do it you can learn on the fly you can do a little bit of prep you can do more prep than i did and i i actually do recommend doing a bit more prep than i did maybe get a nice camera and a mic and then go but other than that you don't need to do a ludicrous amount. You don't need to be professional on your first video. Yeah, chances aren't very little amount of people will see that. Uh, they'll likely see one of your later videos, and then maybe they'll go back and look at it. But at that point, they'll know, like, oh yeah, it's 
it's better quality. And I think that's that's good for people to see that you've improved over time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With podcasts, I don't know what the average video for YouTubers are, but podcasts, I think the average is that people will get to like episode 18 or 16. Uh, and and that's when people stop pa- uh, podcasting. Oh. So I wonder what the average video count is. I don't know. I mean, I've got hundreds, and that's the thing. Because I, I put out right now, I put out two videos a week, which I, when I tell people that, it like blows their minds. Even when I tell other content creators that, they're like, you do two videos a week? Because like most people, if they do two videos a month, that's not bad. Um, so two videos a week is like a lot of people – like it blows their mind. Like, how do you not get burned out? I'm like, I periodically do. And, <laughs> and because I usually keep a nice stockpile of videos, I'll keep, because I usually keep around about a month worth of videos waiting to be released in case mm. I get sick or something. And on the few times where, where I have gotten burned out, I'll take two weeks off and then slowly build back up the stockpile. Uh, and it's okay to do that because I always have a nice stockpile. So it doesn't cause a break in the releases at all. I can, I'll still be able to, maintain that so i think another um another big recommends based on what we're saying this is turning into a how to be a content creator i I know now we have a topic (laughs) yeah we kind of do another big recommend is persistence don't get disheartened too quickly be persistent keep putting out content because you know what um if you keep doing content and the content is quality if you keep improving i mean it's not going to be amazing quality to start with but if you keep improving and people see that you're improving they'll come and they'll watch or listen if you're a podcast of course and and you just got to keep going uh you can't just do like five videos and expect you're you're going to be the next youtuber with a with a million subscribers it's not going to work that way you got it you got to be you got to keep with it you got to be persistent because there are plenty of people where you're like oh they were doing so well why'd they stop making videos they just stopped out of nowhere and i mean there's a million reasons they could have stopped but like i've seen ones where where they were doing quite well thousands of subscribers and we're doing really good and we're making great content and like and i suddenly go i was subscribed to them what happened to their videos? I haven't seen any of their videos in a long time. And you go and look and they haven't had a video for six months to a year. And you're like, why? They were doing good. They were making great stuff. People wanted to see it. I mean, but again, they could have had personal reasons why they dropped out. But I do feel like a lot of it is just people getting impatient. And uh, and again, this is not everybody. Plenty of people have personal reasons. People have tragedies happen in their life. Uh, have to re, uh, you know, like, re-examine their priorities, that sort of thing. People have kids and don't have time anymore. There are a million reasons why people stop. But there does seem to be a large number of people, because you see them post about it on social media, that they just they just realize that it is going to be a slow burn. It is going to be very slow to build up the subscriber numbers. And they get they get frustrated with that. And they they give up kind of when they're on the cusp of 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 really, you know, actually getting to their goals. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think also there's comparing, like you'll compare yourselves to other people. Like I started around the same time as several other people. And I think YouTube is bigger than podcasting. I, there's, I think it's a lot. I don't know the numbers audience. to compare. I don't them, know. So I don't know. Yeah. But like people seem to like video content, so it's possible, but I don't, I, don't, I mean, do you know, do you, yeah. do you even know how many people like listen to your podcast each time? Is that something you can Yeah. Yeah. I get those stats. It's not like. Oh, okay. It's not astronomical, but I know other, you know, like I'll hit triple digits. 
Well, that's good. It's it's respectable for me. I like that. No, that's good. That's good. That's a good amount for each each podcast for people to be hitting the triple digits. I mean, you know, subscriber counts are one thing on YouTube, and a lot of people like to tote subscriber counts, but actual viewership of each video is usually significantly less yeah. than people's subscriber counts. So triple digits is good. That's great. Yeah, I'm happy with that. You know, it took a long, long time to get there. And it really depends on, you know, like, Different, you know, obviously episodes like Eric Lang will draw in a lot of people. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, those ones, of course, get, like, significantly higher, but... Well, well, it's Eric Lang, for God's sakes. He he created one of the most famous modern board games in Blood Rage, and uh, people love him. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm, I'm quite a bit st- of a step down from that, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's, it's always funny, because I always said, like, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to do the big guests, you know, big names in the industry, because like, you know, you and I, uh, we've, we've kind of become buddies, you know, like, and, uh, and a lot of the other people that I've interviewed, I keep in touch with pretty regularly. And those big names, it's not like Eric's going to email me out of the blue and just be like, Hey, you want to hop on and play some games or, Hey, do you want to like chat for a little bit or, or grab lunch? You know, like, uh, but it, it's still fun to talk to him. And and that was my hesitancy was like, I feel like I can't get buddy buddy with those people. But literally every single one of them, I have gotten like really tight with within that conversation. And we do get buddy buddy. And, and maybe we would grab lunch if we were in town together. I do feel like some of my favorite uh, game industry experiences have been when I meet these people who I idolize, these people who are amazing game creators and you just talk to them because everyone's just people. We're all just people. And you just talk to them about real stuff and, and, and you realize they're just a person and you have similar interests, uh, even outside of just gaming, because I mean, you know, we're in the game space. We're all going to have that similar interest of gaming, but maybe they have other similar interests to you. And you just, you just have a great conversation. I had a fantastic, absolutely fantastic experience back in December. I went to PAX Unplugged, which for those who are unfamiliar is PAX's tabletop convention that they do every year in Philadelphia now. Uh, so if you're, if you're not familiar, PAX stands for Penny Arcade Expo. Uh, they are an online webcomic. I know that's redundant. They're a webcomic. <laughs> I didn't need to say online. And they, uh, a while back, started doing a, a group of video game conventions generally known as PAX. They have PAX. They have PAX East. They have PAX South. Um, and they're mostly video game conventions, but there is some tabletop gaming that shows up at each of their conventions as well. And they are also big fans of tabletop gaming because at the conventions, they were the guys who run the webcomic would do a celebrity D&D game that they had going for a while. It was them. It was Will Wheaton. It was also the artist who does another webcomic called um, PvP, which were great. And you can find these on YouTube, and I highly recommend checking out their celebrity uh, Dungeons & Dragons games they had at conventions. They were amazingly fun to watch. Loved them. Uh, They called their group Acquisitions Incorporated. So entertaining. But they started talking about They're like, man, we love tabletop games too. We should do just a tabletop con. And that's where PAX Unplugged came in. And they've been doing it for a few years now. And it's out in in Philadelphia every year. So this December, now that all the the background has been filled in for those who don't know, uh, I was at PAX 
uh, unplugged and I had a bunch of appointments. Uh, when you, I get a press pass to go to PAX Unplugged. And when you get a press pass, if you're, if you're not familiar, the main point of having a press pass, there's a couple of good reasons to get press passes to conventions. At PAX Unplugged, they call it a content creator pass, but same kind of thing. Most conventions will call it a press pass. So, but the main point to get it is that they send around the list to all the publishers. They say, hey, here's all the people from the media who are going to be here. If you want to set up appointments to talk about your new projects, here they are. And then they start emailing you in the weeks leading up to the con, and they're like, hey, would you like to meet up and record an interview, record a demo of our new game, check out our new stuff, whatever? And you do. You set up the appointments, and you go over, and they give you review copies, and they talk to you, and and you have great conversations, make great contacts with people. It's a lot of fun. And one of my my best contacts last year was one um, a conversation I had with Mike Pondsmith, uh, who, if you're not familiar, is the designer behind Cyberpunk, the entire line of Cyberpunk games, the current edition, of course, being Cyberpunk Red. So I I had had an appointment, me and a friend of mine who was, my friend Mike was with us at the, uh, with me at the con, and it was the two of us, and we were going to play in a game of Cyberpunk, and we were going to record it. And I went over there, and there was like a scheduling snafu, and it had fallen through, and I was like, I was saying, you know, oh, it's okay, these things happen, but I was a little bummed. I was like, oh, man, this this kind of stinks. This is, you know, this was going to be great. I was really looking forward to playing Cyberpunk um, with some people from the company. And the fact that it had fallen through really, it really kind of, it really kind of bummed me out. But then, um, I w- I was talking to Mike Pondsmith. He comes over to be like, okay, well, what's going on? What's happening? And I was telling him I had an appointment. He goes, do you have your email? I want to know who you spoke to. And I'm like, all right, hold on one second. Let me dig up the email. And I show him the email. And then he got the person over and the person explained the whole issue. And in the middle of talking, they're just shoving review copies in my hand and apologizing, which was hilarious. They're like, I am so sorry. Did you want to review this? Here, here, take this review copy. And I was like, wow, thank you. Uh, I was like, I get it. Things happen. And then, but then Mike was like, he says to me, and he's just, he's just a very normal, ordinary person, a really cool guy. And he, he, he asked me to sit down for a minute. Um, and he's like, oh, who are you with? And I said, oh, it's the board game captain. And, um, and we sit down and we, he just, he, he, like it, 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 the the guy who worked for him was shoving all the review copies in my hand to apologize. You could totally tell he was like he was just very apologetic. But Mike just like wanted to. It, it felt to me like he wanted to have a seat and have a talk for a minute, like because he wasn't doing it like to apologize. He just wanted to chat. So he like he's like, hey, why don't you sit down and talk with me for a minute? And I said, do you want me to put the camera on? We could record an interview. Or something. goes, no, no, let's just let's just sit down and chat. I think he just wanted to like get away from the front of the booth. And get to the back of the booth and sit at a table and have a little conversation, which I was like, okay, cool, that's fine. I was like, let's let's sit down for a little bit. So we sat down and we just started talking. And we weren't even really talking about gaming. We just started talking about general things. And before you knew it, um, we started talking about paleontology, which it turned out uh, both he and I were rather passionate about. He is far more knowledgeable than I am. I, uh, on a very, very amateur level love um learning about extinct species and uh the the amazing things that evolution has done for various species throughout history all the way up to to modern day uh but he actually goes out on digs with paleontologists and digs up and ca- and catalogs fossils which is amazing and then we had and no joke we must have talked for about 45 minutes 
just about extinct species. And about 20 of those minutes were a specific discussion on the family of prehistoric arthropods known as the Anomalocari, which both he and I are big fans of. And it was great. It was fantastic. And it didn't even have anything to do with gaming. It was just this, this amazing conversation, connecting his people and discussing something else that we were both really passionate about. And um, I haven't talked to him since, but like it, it's one of those things in the back of my mind. Like I feel like, would I be bothering him if I emailed him? He gave me his email address. I feel like I should email him and, and invite him to do something actually on the channel to connect again, just because I had such a great time talking to him at the convention. And he was such an amazing guy. It's funny how we do that, right? Like for me, I, I'm mainly guests. So I have to like email people or DM them on Twitter and be like, hey, do you want to come? And I feel like I'm bothering them every time. But most of the time, they're very, very cool about it. And if they're not like the I said most of the time, but on the very select few, it's not like they're rude or anything. They're just like, oh, you know, I, I can't right now or uh, my yeah. I'm too busy right now. So very polite. Um, but but yeah, then once you get talking to them, it's like they're very genuine. If he gave you contact and reach out to him, have him come on the channel, you know. I should, you know, I should see if he would want to be a guest on an episode of Game Night Insight. If that time would work for him, I don't know if that, if that time would be, you know, because we 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 do our live streams at a weird time. It's like late night on Thursday nights. So yeah, kind of a weird time. It was just the time that we could all uh, actually meet up. But um, yeah, I should I should actually I should send him an email and see if he might be interested because we do need a guest for the end of the month. We got to figure out who's going to be our special guest. Maybe I'll shoot him an email and see if he would like to uh, to do it, and yeah. uh, and then we can all discuss paleontology on Game Night Insight. <laughs> <laughs> Something I know nothing about. Hey, I'm always happy to learn. <laughs> really? Don't you live in Utah? Aren't there like ludicrous amounts of fossil sites down yes, there? Yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I learned a lot as a kid. I never retained it. I have such a bad memory, um, uh, but which is nice for watching TV shows and reading books. Like I can reread or rewatch things and be surprised again. See, I have for things I have a incredible affection for. I have a ludicrously good memory. So for me, that's things like uh, game rules. Uh, I. I depending on the game, if I haven't played it in a while, I might need to do a quick, you know, skim through the rules to, to refresh my memory. But there's lots of games where I could just pull them out and play. Uh, so ga- game rules, as well as um, obscure movies that I love, as well as paleontology. These are all things like I have this ludicrous memory for. Like I took my um, my cousin and his family to the Field Museum out here, and we're walking around looking at the dinosaurs, and um, at the various uh, fossils of dinosaur skeletons, I should say. And uh, my cousin's youngest like points out, oh, that's a really cool looking one. And I said, yes, that is a Pachycephalosaurus. You see, it had a very thick uh, dome of its skull that scientists believe maybe it might have used to ram like modern day rams do. And then m- my cousin's wife, she walks up and she goes, it is a Pachycephalosaurus. How did you know that? Because <laughs> like, I said it from like 20 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I just I just you know I just remember I remember all of these since I was a kid I've always been very interested in extinct uh extinct animal species so yeah that's awesome well let's go back to board games for a little bit again how did you get into board games initially uh well uh I was born um the end so yeah I I I've been into board games since I discovered board games I mean it's it's and 
when I was a kid, I, I really yearned for more types of games. So when I was really, really, really little, I used to play checkers with my dad. I think it was probably the first board game I ever learned. Uh, I would imagine a lot of people our ages, checkers is the first board game they ever learned. Uh, later, of course, I was taught some more advanced games. We got into chess and then um, for family game nights, playing games like, of course, Monopoly, uh, Risk and Clue and other things like that. And also with my grandma, we used to play a lot of card games, things like Rummy 500 and Gin Rummy. Um you know, classic set collecting card games, stuff like that. But I remember as a kid always wanting more, you know, like there's got to be more types of games out there, more things out there. And then in the 80s, for a brief time, in the big stores like Toys R Us, you started to see more. Uh, before Milton Bradley got bought out by Hasbro, they were starting to do more hobbyish sorts of games. They did uh, they did a bunch of games that they did with a joint license with Games Workshop. They did Hero Quest, which everyone's familiar with, but they also did Battle Masters that I was obsessed with. It was a big hex based war strategy game that you could kind of think as being like Warhammer Light, uh, but it was great. My brother and I used to, to roll out the big game mat on the living room floor and play all Saturday morning. Uh, and then also, they they uh, they also started doing their Game Master line, which they had started work on before the Hasbro buyout, but I believe Hasbro had bought them by the time it, most of it was actually published, and they released games like um, Samurai Swords, which was uh, one that I had and was uh, really obsessed with. It was really amazing. Uh, big, you know, area control strategy game taking place during the Hundred Year Wars in Japan. Um, and and I started to be like, wow, there is more out there. There are more interesting games out there. And then I started to see, like, in comic shops, you would see they would have the smaller, more niche publishers, they would have Avalon Hill stuff and they would have Mayfair game stuff. And that's when I got introduced to other things like Titan from Avalon Hill or or um, Lone Wolf and Cub from Mayfair games. And, and yeah, basically, as soon as I could ever discover more interesting types of games or like Battletech from FASA or Crimson Skies from FASA, which I was ludicrously obsessed with for a number of years as a kid, uh, I used to design all my own planes and, and love to play out the Zeppelin versus Zeppelin battles with the planes flying back and forth between them to try to try to destroy your enemy Zeppelin. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. And, and yeah, basically, from the time I played board games, I always wanted more. I was like, there has to be more interesting games out there. And when I was a little kid, um, my dad really didn't know about the more hobbyish games out there. He didn't know there was much more. But by the time I finally started to explore on my own and ride my bicycle to Toys R Us in the local comic shop and started to see the more, I would start to buy more. And, and uh, I was so glad in the 90s when Magic the Gathering and then uh, Settlers of Catan hit that there was such an explosion in the variety of tabletop games out there uh, that was triggered by those two games. There was First, there was a ton of collectible card games and then a ton more of board games because of the success of Settlers of Catan and Magic the Gathering. And uh, yeah, basically, so I know, I know it, it seems kind of cliche, but basically for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with board games. That's awesome. Yeah. Like it sounds like you came out of the womb playing, you know, 
Kinda, kinda a little bit. I, I, I have very fond memories of of board game nights playing. You know, even the old school games like Clue around the table. But then, like once I was able to get into newer, more interesting things, like I, rem- I have memories of playing Titan and uh, and and uh, what did I say? Uh, Battle Masters, right? Battle Masters was another one I played ludicrous amounts of times. And of course, Magic the Gathering. I mean, you couldn't be a kid in 1993 into games and not be into magic the gathering like it was it was just impossible like now you could be like magic the gathering is still huge and it's probably bigger than it ever was but you could be into tabletop gaming because there are so many other games out there and not be into magic the gathering like right now i'm no longer into magic but back then if you were into tabletop gaming you were into magic the gathering it was it was mandatory it was the one mandatory game you had to play it's not surprising anytime you talk to somebody or you know my age, a little younger, and or quite a bit older. It doesn't matter. Like Magic: The Gathering is like a staple for so many of us. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it definitely. Am I quite a bit older than you? I'm trying to think. I probably am. I'm thirty. Oh, thirty-four. Okay, yeah, I'm. I'm like. Uh, I think I'm about eight years older than you. Okay, eighty. <laughs> so, yeah. You're like eighty. Yeah, I'm like 80. That's right. Yeah, I'm about 80. Uh, I feel that way sometimes, especially when I bend over and have to pick something up. I feel the same way. <laughs> I do. You know, it's funny. When I talk board games with people, sometimes when I talk about like these older games and I talk with younger gamers, it does make me feel old because the thing is, a lot of these games, other than Magic the Gathering, of course, but a lot of these games like Battle Masters, Battle Masters was only out for a short amount of time and then disappeared from the zeitgeist so when i talk about battle masters and i show people pictures of it they do make me feel old because they're like oh this is way before my time (laughs) Um, yeah like i have a very vague reference of battle masters so okay because you were probably but but i'm familiar oh okay I remember. I remember they had. Uh, I remember the TV commercials. It, it, like it was, it was one of those ones where that was back when they were still doing. Because uh, Milton Bradley used to do TV commercials for board games, uh, and they would put them on during like Saturday morning cartoons and such, because that was you know that was the perfect time to to advertise products for kids. And Battlemasters was one of those that they wanted to be like a big holiday seller. So there were there were TV commercials for it leading up to the holiday season. Oh yeah, and I think I got it. I think I got it for Hanukkah. I want to say I, I I did, and immediately opened it up. Started putting the military units together. My brother and I figured out the rules, started playing, and were just immediately enthralled. We would play it probably weekly, once a week, on the living room floor for probably years like that was when we were we were really obsessed with it was so much fun do uh what's your do you have a favorite board game at at the moment well my favorite board game of all time and has been for a long time uh is twilight imperium twilight imperium fourth edition especially blew me away even compared to third edition uh it is the sort of game that i do not get to play anywhere near as much as i want to because it takes six plus hours to play and you need at least three people to play it so you have to have three people willing to, to basically devote a day to it which does happen sometimes but as adults with busy schedules it gets a little more difficult lately more often i've been playing one of my favorite games not my very favorite but one of my favorite games uh which has been totally revitalized for me which is BattleTech. because while BattleTech still can take you know three plus hours to play so uh, i would say 
a good size game of Battletech is probably going to be around four hours, which is still a, a large chunk of time, uh, though not all day. You only need two people. So it's just you and one other person have to agree to be like, hey, man, Saturday we're going to meet up and we're going to play Battletech. We're going to get lunch, then we're going to play Battletech, and then we're going to break for dinner, and that's cool. And that's much easier to set up. Plus, with all the new um, additions after the, the Battletech Kickstarter that they did a while back, all the new additions of the new mechs, the new mech warrior cards, the new lance abilities they came out with have thoroughly revitalized Battletech for me to the point where I'm, I've been like frothing at the mouth to play Battletech as much as possible and um, been painting a bunch of mechs too. So I'm, I've, uh, while I will still say that Twilight Imperium is my number one game of all time, uh, unfortunately, I don't get to play it as much as I would like. And Battletech's actually been taking up a lot more of my gaming hobby time than Twilight Imperium lately. I feel that, though. Like, my favorite game is Spirit Island, and that's a single... Like, I can play that by myself, but I don't get to play it all that often. But it still holds... It still holds that special place in my heart, so... So what is the factor that... Uh, for spirit, so for battle, for for Twilight Imperium, the factor is just the length of game and getting people to agree to spend a whole day doing it. What's the thing in Spirit Island that keeps you from being able to play it? It's mainly time. Like uh, mm. setup can well, I've I've gotten setup down to like fifteen minutes, which isn't too bad, right? That's a pretty quick setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's and space. Like my wife likes to play with me. Oh, that's another thing is we did a remodel. And so for the last like three months, our house has been in shambles. Mm. <laughs> so I've kind of fell out of that habit of like setting up a game or being able to play a game. Um, I did learn though, that I can set it up on my bed and I can play it on my bed if I need to. So yeah, so I've, I need to is- get it played more. Uh, fair enough but space but, has been the biggest concern then. yeah space was the biggest concern but kind of on this like i've also gotten so many new games i try not to let anything sit on the shelf for too long you run into that problem i'm sure as a reviewer and getting review copies oh yeah oh man so yeah okay so before i started the review channel and even uh for the early time before i started getting review copies uh i used to go to Gen Con every year and Gen Con was my main place I bought games and it was because you'd be there you'd be amongst the fanfare all of all of the the companies showing up literally hundreds of companies showing up selling their 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 thousands of games and I would come home with a car full of games I am not even over exaggerating Lynn and I used to post pictures of them on social media of the halls and people would be like oh my god I didn't even know that many games existed and it, and uh, I started doing when I had the channel I started doing my Gen Con haul videos where we would go through all the games we got and it would be a nuts amount of games especially since we could drive to Gen Con we'd just load up the car and then uh, a little thing happened. The first, the thing that kind of triggered me starting getting uh, review copies. The, the first review request I got was from Atlas Games, a um, uh, very nice gentleman who I'm now friends with, who works over at Atlas Games. Uh, he reached out to me and he says, Hey, I saw you reviewed one of our games. And I. I was like, yes, yes, I, I, I did. And uh, he says, we have this other game coming out. Would you be interested in reviewing it? And I said, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the game looks, looks really cool. And that game was um, Cursed Court, which, by the way, I think is a criminally overlooked game. Just throwing that out on the side there. So he says, I'm going to send you a, a review copy. 
And he, he, he sent me the review copy, and it was the first review copy I'd ever got. I was super excited. I loved the game. The game, the production is gorgeous. Still have it in my collection. Uh, the game itself, the gameplay is unique and interesting. Really fun game. I think it is criminally overlooked amongst their catalog. Um, and But from then on, I started getting more more emails about about review copies and i remember the next gen con we went to um we still bought a lot of games but we didn't buy as much because like well we got to save time because we also got to get these games reviewed and as time has gone on um oh and I, let me give a shout out to my buddy over at atlas games that was travis by the way I, I can't i just realized i didn't even say his name travis over at atlas games who uh runs their warehouse and also does their pr for them uh he is awesome and uh really cool guy to have a beer with i i always hang out with him at every convention i go to i always i always send him a mess i say hey are you and atlas going to be at this convention do you want to meet up for a beer <laughs> he's a great guy to hang out with and have a beer with absolutely awesome love travis so from then on, though, I started getting more review copies. And I remember there was this one uh, year where I went to Gen Con and I got, uh, and again, I went to Gen Con as a member of the press because I got my press pass for Gen Con. And I got a bunch of review copies. And then I got this email from PAX Unplugged. And the thing was, PAX Unplugged that year, uh, it was fairly early in their existence. And they bought a booth at Gen Con to get out the word that, hey, there's a convention outside the normal convention season. It's in December. Want to go to a game convention in December? Come to Philly. Come to PAX Unplugged. And I saw it, and I was like, okay, that looks cool. Uh, but at the time, I would the, the one main game convention I was doing was, was Gen Con. I wasn't really doing a whole lot else for game conventions. I would sometimes do like a really small one. Like I'd see, oh, there's a little a little one. Let's go check that out. But I wasn't really traveling for any others. But they sent out this email basically to everybody on the press list because, again, you sh- you get on the press list, they send those out to everyone who buys a booth at the convention. So PAX Unplugged got the press list from Gen Con, and they sent out an email. They said, hey, you all were press for Gen Con. We have this really cool convention. It's up and coming. It's it's getting big. It's out in Philly. It's in December. We invite you to come as a member of the press to PAX Unplugged. And I was like, oh, this is a cool idea. This was smart of them. So I so I decided to start checking it out. And I looked into it, and I have a friend who lives in the Philly area. And I messaged him. I said, hey, I've been invited to come be press at PAX Unplugged this year. Uh, would you like to go with me? I, we could, I, if, if you're cool with it, I could come stay with you, and we could go to the con together. And he was totally cool. That's my buddy Mike, who I grew up with. He grew up down the block from me. Now lives coincidentally near Philadelphia. So he's been going with me to PAX Unplugged every year. Uh, every year there's been a PAX Unplugged, because this was actually just before the year before the pandemic. So, of course, there wasn't a PAX Unplugged the next year. But that year, that year kick-started the amount of review requests I've gotten into like ludicrous high gear. So it started at PAX Unplugged. I came back. I had to turn a bunch of people down for review requests because I ran out of room in my luggage. And I came back with my bags just stuffed with games, months worth of games to review. And I was like, this is great. But then from that point on, I've been getting, uh, especially through the pandemic, I've been getting a ton of review requests because I think, especially because when there was no conventions, the companies were really looking for any way to get the word out about their games. So they wanted reviewers to play their games. And it, it went from a thing of like, once in a while, I get review requests to now I get so many, I have to turn a bunch of them down because I just don't have time to cover it. Like I got some emails after PAX Unplugged, people uh, offering me review copies of games. And I had to be like, listen, 
I'm about four months behind on reviews right now. I cannot promise you I will get this out in any timely fashion. I am sorry. I would love to check out this game, but I have to give priority to the games I got beforehand. And that right now is is pretty much got me booked for the next four months. Uh, so, yeah, I had to start really turning a lot of people down. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, I know this is not a problem. This is, I know like people might be thinking I'm saying, oh, like this, like it's a bad thing and going like, oh, what a problem to have you. You're getting too many free games. This is not a problem. It's just how things are. It's just a, a, once you get to a certain size as a content creator that is doing reviews, the companies are going to seek you out. And, and the best way to get on their radar is actually to show up at the conventions because then they'll add you to their press list and they'll start sending you like, oh, hey, we got this new game come out, coming out. Do you want to review it? And, and that's, that is definitely how it is, how, it is, how it has gone with me. That is really cool. So I know sometimes with like Kickstarter reviews, sometimes they'll send out a, a, a copy you know, of, of what they have, a prototype or whatever, um, a near final product. But but then you're supposed to like pass it on to the next person or send it back or, or something sometimes. Do you have things like that or are they just free yes. copies? Well, both. Okay. So uh, so generally, I would say if, if you are a content creator and people are offering to send you pre-production copies for um, checking out to do videos, uh, you know, Kickstarter preview videos, which I've done quite a few of actually – you need to be clear with them what what the what the rules are. What, what how is this going to go? Because I've had some issues where I get surprised. So I've had plenty of people that are like, "Hey, we're going to send you this film film some content uh, if you're cool with it." And I'll be like, "Yeah, I'm cool with it. Send it to me." Uh, and then that's it. And then uh, it's mine to keep or dispose of if I want. Because some of them some of them are so rough, you're just going to recycle it really after you play it a few times. Others of them, though, you might actually hold on to. And I have had some Kickstarter preview ones that are almost production level quality. I'm like, I'm just keeping this in the collection. Like it looks proper, it looks good. But then there are other ones where they'll be like, "Hey, listen, we have limited copies. Um, is it okay that we uh, we're going to?" pay postage and you send it on to the next next uh content creator and that's fine i'm i'm usually just totally okay with that uh but i did have one i'm not going to mention names but i did have one where they sprung that on me they didn't tell me that's what they wanted they they kind of they they didn't explicitly say so but they kind of made it sound like oh yeah we're just going to send it to you and you make content and then afterwards like oh yeah now we're gonna we're gonna have you send it to the next person and i did i was like you you didn't Tell me that ahead of time. I didn't agree to that, but I was like, okay, whatever. I'll send it on to the next person. No big deal. Uh, but I was, I was a little disappointed uh, because in this particular one's case, they were releasing more content for the game, and I wanted to do more videos on it later. And I wasn't able to do that because they're like, okay, send it on to the next people. And I'm like, all right what's the address for the next person um so it, it depends it really depends on the one i still have a bunch of prototypes that i held on to i have some that i gave to friends who uh who are excited to have like a pre-production copy of of said game i also have some i have some that i'll never get rid of because the game never got went to print i've got a couple where it's like on one hand i'm very sad that this game that i thought was quite good and I did my best to spread the word about and really wanted to get it into production for one reason or another. Didn't make it into print that as far as I know, it didn't look like it got funded. I don't think I don't think it ever they ever did a print run on them. And some of them are quite good games. I'm like, this is never leaving my my collection because I'd never be able to get it again. So like one, uh, there was a game, it's called uh, I think it was Shaka Shredders. 
Shaka Shredders. It was a really cool game. It was like a, a, a card battle game where instead of fighting, you're supposed to be your anthropomorphic animals doing like extreme sports contests. So you're doing like skateboarding and surfing and things like that. And the cards were magnetic and each one had multiple parts and you could, there were actions you could do to swap parts between the cards. And it was really cool. It was really, really brilliant idea, really fun. You put them into to card uh, sleeves so that you could shuffle it easy, and then you would just like pull it up, pull the magnet off, pull off the other, and swap the, the abilities between the cards. Um, but the thing was, and like when I, when I did the preview, I was raving about it. I was like, this is a cool idea. This is really awesome. The problem was, and this was something I, I didn't really pick up on, it was going to need to be ludicrously expensive for a little card game because all of the components were magnetic. <laughs> like you weren't using actual cards. You were using sheets of metal and, and magnets. Like the, the base cards uh, had, had metal in them. And then the, 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 the pieces that went on them were, were actual magnets. So it wound up being too expensive to be able to back for a lot of people. And it didn't get funded. And the, the copy they sent me was basically production level quality. So it looks great. And it's not leaving my collection. Like that's that is because it's it's kind of unique. Like you can't find this game because it was never actually produced. Uh, there was another one. It was called like Robot and Girl. It was based on a video game. And again, this was a really cool game. I don't know why this one didn't get funded. Uh, I raved about it. It had this really interesting, unique mechanic set. Um, and it wasn't super expensive, so I I don't know why that one didn't get funded. But again, it didn't. And the copy they sent me was basically production level so it is a cherished part of my collection i will never part with it uh because it is so unique and so cool and i love having it so this is going to be kind of a two-parter here but a lot of times a normal question is oh do you play games with your wife i know you do because she comes on the channel uh, yes <laughs> but i want to know was she a gamer before you met and then also in that same vein i know that sometimes you will review a game get a review copy and you don't like it and you are very honest about that do you ever get any kickback or uh you know uh, from i haven't i haven't had anyone ever complain to me but i have had some companies stop asking me if i want to review their games (laughs) um okay so i i try try only I, i do my best to only agree to review games that i know i'm i'm very likely to be positive on uh, because I don't like doing negative reviews. Uh, if I if I am sent a review copy and it is bad and it warrants it, I'm going to give it a negative review, but I don't want to. So like, I, I think one of the most uh, infamous for me in my catalog of games was, um, and you know I'm going to call it out because it's terrible, uh, the Kraft Heinz Variety Pack. I reviewed that a while back. So I got, I got an email from Big G Creative, uh, their marketing person was a very nice person. I had a whole conversation with them on email, not about games, just about other things. And I was—I thought it sounded like a, a funny, quirky idea. They had done this this set of games based on classic food products. It was one game was based on Heinz ketchup, one was based on Jello gelatin, one was based on um, the Kraft mac and cheese. You know, so. I was like, this is a cool idea. This could be really interesting. Uh, you've got the nostalgia effect of the, you know, the classic packaging and all that. It came, I thought they looked great. The the Jello gelatin one really looked like a box of Jello powder mix. The the 
the the ketchup bottle it looked like a plastic ketchup bottle that you twisted the top off and the dice came out of. But then we started playing it, and I wanted to like it so bad. I was so wanting to like it, and um, they weren't good. The the Heinz one was the best of the three. It was a push your luck dice game, but it was it was like a less good version of a zombie dice. It just it wasn't very good. And the other two were terrible. Uh, the craft one and the the Jello one were just awful games. And I was like, all right, well I've got these. I've I've played these. I've agreed to review these. I'm going to review them. And they and I I pretty sure I kind of tore them apart. I gave them a very negative review. I have never gotten a review request from Big G Creative since. Uh, and you know what? I uh, At a convention, I did play, and I want to give this as a shout-out to Big G Creative because I thought it was a very good game. I played the Trapper Keeper game, which is another one of those, let's take a nostalgic product and make a board game out of it. And it was very good. Like, if they had sent me that, I would have given that a very high rating. I'm not sure what it would have been, but probably around eight stars it was a quite good game uh which is you know but the thing is on the other hand if the craft heinz variety pack is what big g creative thinks is a passable set of games to put out there on market i'm actually not sad that they don't want to send me review copies anymore because if there's a chance i would be forced to play such horrible games again i don't want them (laughs) so i'm totally fine with that and now because you asked two questions the other question you had asked and i I probably people even forgot you asked this but you had asked about uh lynn being into games before uh before she and I got together or not. So um, Lynn and I started dating in 1999. We've actually been together for a very long time. Uh, And she was into video games and into Magic the Gathering before we started going out, but nothing really else. Uh, When we first met, we both played Magic the Gathering and we both played a lot of video games. And uh, the first, and this is a great story. So the the, the first game that she and I got in together as a couple and started having board game nights with was Starfares of Catan, which came out in the year 2000. Uh, we got it and we loved it. And we started setting up game nights with other people. It's still one of both of our favorite games of all time. The new version that Asmodee came out with, which is called Catan Starfares. I highly recommend to anyone who hasn't tried it yet because they even improved on the old Starfares of Catan and it's fantastic. Absolutely amazing game. Uh, from then on, Lynn played a lot of games with me. There were some that she got really obsessed with and really liked. She was just, because she had only really done like collectible card games like Magic the Gathering before that and video games, she didn't really know what mechanics clicked with her. It took her a while to figure out like why she liked certain things and didn't like certain other things. But there were certain things that would totally click with her, like Runebound. She loved Runebound. And, but then there were other things where she's like, I hate this. I hate this. I don't know why, but I hate it. And then and over time, we've kind of figured out, so like at this point, I don't ask her to review any of the games with me or even play the games with me that I know, like, oh, no, she's not going to like that. Um, so like Lynn's ones, the, the genres that she's very into, she loves uh euro games with almost no player interaction that's one of her favorite genres absolutely adores those um think cube pushers like like things like um she's a big fan we just played actually haven't the review hasn't come out yet but we just played anno 1800 and that was like right up her alley because there's almost no player interaction whatsoever in that game 
and also storytelling games. Like her favorite game of all time is uh, Tales of the Arabian Nights, which she absolutely adores. She, uh, but for storytelling games, she always complains if there's not story on every turn or if it's not proper story. Like if the story is just like is 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 just sort of like a, a game mechanic thing of you have to pick between option A or option B. Like there has to actually be proper story to read every turn uh or she gets she's like there's not enough story in there it's not a real storytelling game but as long as there is those are the kind of games she loves she loves storytelling games and cube pushers and a few other things she's a big fan of of push your luck games she loves push your luck mechanics uh always rates those very highly and a lot of set collecting games too she's a big fan of those uh but yeah um so so i would say in regard to the very modern games that really started happening after the year 2000 we kind of got into those together i was already into board games and she was kind of into card games and video games but really got uh more into trying other stuff after that though now i would say she's very much narrowed her scope of which game styles she likes she knows what she likes and she knows what she doesn't like and when it's something she likes she'll be excited to play it if something she doesn't like she's like yeah play that one with somebody else (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally get that nice uh well what about outside of board games let's go outside we've talked a little bit about uh, you know we've gone out on tangents but what are your hobbies my hobbies, other than well, my main hobby, that my primary hobby that I spend the most time on, even more than um, than board games as a hobby. Can I guess? Pr- yeah, go ahead. Is like a fringe movies. It's a very good guess. That's one of my other hobbies. But oh, no, dang, okay. Uh, my my pr- it was it was going to be a joke. My my primary <laughs> hobby is I collect hobbies. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, because I, I have way too many hobbies. So uh, adjacent to the, the board games, I also paint miniatures, usually for games I'm really into at the time. Uh, back in the day, I got super into Warhammer 40,000 and then Warhammer Fantasy as well and started painting a lot of miniatures for them. Uh, I painted multiple armies for both games. Uh, at this point, I will never buy another Games Workshop product again because they've become so anti-consumer. But back in the day, before they went public, back when they were still like a privately owned company and they were all about the hobby and all about the gamers, they were one of the best companies out there. And I loved their stuff. Uh, also, more recently, I've gotten back into painting miniatures with Battletech miniatures. I love painting those. In addition, like you said, fringe, obscure movies. I love finding great movies, especially movies that uh, other people don't even know exist. And I love giving people recommendations to movies that they might really, really enjoy, Um, whether they be foreign or indie or what have you. There's a ton of movies out there that are amazing and deserve to be discovered. And especially like when you get into independent and foreign films, you find a lot of movies that are not just rehashes of the same old stuff. Like the big Hollywood movies tend to be because the big Hollywood movies, they don't want to take risks. So a lot of their stuff, it's, it's the same basic formula they've been working with for the last 50 years. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely more interesting stuff to find if you get into indie and foreign films, and there's a lot of those that I absolutely adore um, and watch again and again, um, but also love to discover new ones of those. Uh, let's see. Uh, also, when I get the chance, lately I haven't had the chance as much because I've been reading a lot of review copies of role-playing game books, but I do like to read. Uh, I love to read a lot of no- uh, sci-fi and fantasy novels as well as some books on historical periods that I get interested in because I 
I get very interested in learning about certain periods. For a while, I was obsessed with the Punic Wars, uh, which is an amazingly interesting time period. If you are not familiar, I highly recommend checking out uh, the first and second Punic Wars specifically are the most interesting uh, and are very interesting to learn about. And then, um, let's see, uh, I guess... That's probably most of of my hobbies right there. I mean, I still do some video gaming. I do. I do also. I've gotten lately into collecting classic video games uh, because a lot of modern games don't don't give me the same sort of thrill I used to have with classic old school video games of just playing them right there on the controller, not playing online, playing with your friends sitting next to you. So I've been trying to maintain. Uh, working copies of some of the, my favorite classic systems in the house and occasionally going and eBaying games that I remember from my childhood or ones I never played and just wanting to discover them uh, to pick up and play. And I, I get periodically obsessed with certain classic games and just play them for weeks on end and, yeah, have a great time with that. So, yeah, I, I guess I guess that's that's probably about it for my hobbies. It's a, it's a good amount of hobbies, yeah. I can see why you say my hobby is collecting hobbies. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I really do collect hobbies. Well, let's go to ridiculous theme. I didn't prep you for that before, but uh, yeah, we come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. It doesn't have to be like a dumb theme or anything. It's just like something you think would be a weird theme. A weird theme. To, you know, there have been. Uh, I have heard you do this on some of your other podcasts uh, before, the ridiculous themes. And, you know, it's tough because. There's actually a ton of games out there with themes that seem totally ridiculous at this point, but they've actually made games about them. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and they're awesome games. And they, Yeah, and there's some really great games made about these these amazingly uh, ridiculous themes. So is, is this – is now, is it that it's a theme I would love to see someone take on? I would love to see actually happen? You, you could, yeah. If that's – if it's something you think is, like, unique or uh, – definitely – there, I've okay. done themes like that where it's like, oh, I would love to see this. I've got it. Okay. I've got the theme. It came to me. So it, it came to me based on a conversation I had had with Lynn a while back. So uh, Lynn and I are also uh, obsessed with the, the Eurovision Song Contest, something I didn't mention during my hobbies. But every year we, we watch all of the entries leading up to the contest and we watch the contest and we always have our favorites. FYI, last year, my pick for the winner, which was Italy, won for the first time in like six years. My pick won and I lost my mind. Like when it when it happened, when they announced that they had won, I, I was like running around the house screaming. I was <laughs> so excited. Um, it was it was great. So. A while back, uh, while watching one of the Eurovisions, uh, Lynn was paid special note of the fact that there is a Eurovision board game. And I said, it's probably terrible. It's it's an official licensed board game. It's probably going to be lame. And she decided she wanted to own it anyway for our board game connection, collection. Because she's like, you know what? I want to have it. I love Eurovision. So she, she ordered it. And we played it. And it's lame. And it, it's basically, it's mostly... A, um, a trivia game. It will ask you trivia questions. Uh, but there's this weird secondary mechanic, which could have been good if they actually let the des- whoever designed it run with it and make it about that. And that is, so you, you're getting the trivia questions, but you're getting them to fight over, you know, uh, different types of costumes or the song type or the staging or things like that. And you eventually put them together, these point cards into a set collecting thing to 
to actually make your act. And the more points means you do better. Whoever gets the most points wins Eurovision. Um, I think a good Eurovision board game would be something that is, is really interesting where you actually try to bid on different things, different elements, like the, 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 the song genre. Are you bidding on it being hip hop or heavy metal or, or pop? Are you bidding on, uh, flashy costumes or, or, um, cultural significant costumes or, uh, you know, are you bidding on doing the, the song in a, uh, underrepresented ethnic language which which does you know that sort of thing does sometimes get you more votes um are you bidding on staging are you going to have pyrotechnics are you going to going to have some big screen behind you showing interesting video and i think it could be really cool to try to bid on these things and not always know what your opponents have actually drafted maybe some of the things get drafted in secret some of them get get bid on openly and things are more valuable if they're more unique. Like, you know, if, if you if you bid on a particular uh, element to your performance and everybody else gets the same element as well, that's going to diminish the value of the element because it's not unique and interesting anymore. But if you bid on doing it in an obscure language of people that live all the way up in the north of your country, which is a thing that happens in Eurovision sometimes because some of them will have these, these obscure – uh, languages of of an of an ethnic minority that people from outside that country don't even remember exist. Like there was a, a a song done one year where part of the song was in the Sami language, which are people who live all the way up in the Arctic Circle in a lot of the Scandinavian countries. That sort of thing being more unique could get you more votes, and I think representing that in a board game fashion could be awesome like it could be absolutely brilliant trying to to make the the best and most unique eurovision entry to get you the most points to win the game would be a much better board game than the actual eurovision board game (laughs) and i would love to see that that's awesome i love uh, i've had experiences or like listen to reviews or stuff of of certain games that just sound awful and they're based on ips and it's like this could have been great if you just went like, just committed to it. Don't make it a trivia game. Don't make it like a simple dumbed down game. Like embrace the theme of that IP and and make it like something actually good and unique and cool. I think trivia games have gotten a lot better on average. I mean, you still have those, especially for yeah. big mainstream things like Eurovision. Because over in Europe, Eurovision is something everybody knows about. It happens every year and it's a big widespread thing. But like, in the in the gaming hobby, you do see a lot of hobby games based on big IPs like Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and things like yeah. that, where they're good, where they give them to actual designers oh, yeah. to work on the IP and and they're great. Uh, and I I think it has definitely improved over time, especially over the last like 20, 30 years. It has gotten a lot better, but you do still see some of those throwback, really bad, just thrown out there official IP games, kind of like the Kraft Heinz variety pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's like this will sell because of nostalgia or because of popularity. Yeah. Like they, um, I'm trying to. Well, I have the Lost board game, and I've never actually mm. played it, but I've heard it's a terrible, terrible mess, and uh, so many other board games that are just like they might either lean into like just the trivia, or it's just like yeah, we just put this out quickly to sell while it was hot. Um, but I think for my ridiculous theme is it's i've done time travel type stuff before but this one is that you need to like program robots to replace historical figures 
And so <laughs> you might need to be like, well, I've got uh, George Washington and I'll program George Washington. And then like you would play out historical events with this like programmed deck or something um, that it just has like your automated responses to historical events or. Uh, Interesting. I'm, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down. Uh, that is an interesting concept. It's a, yeah, something a little different, but I like the idea of like replacing historical figures with, with robots. And maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's like, maybe you're aliens that have time travel and you're trying to like shape humanity to be taken over or uh, like, or sustainable when you arrive in 2000 years or, you know, whatever it is, could be something ridiculous like that. I just like the idea of replacing historical figures. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> going back and replacing historical figures with with uh with with robots from the um the uh the it's a small world ride <laughs> oh. <laughs> there we go yeah perfect <laughs> that'd be great because <laughs> that'd be really funny too if like, see if anybody notices <laughs> it was so interesting how he just looked like this animatronic yeah that, like when you go and you watch like animatronic uh you know george washington and uh it's like no that's actually like that's a life depiction of him <laughs> <laughs> that is exact he did look like rubber in real life you just don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and sometimes he would repeat the same phrase over and over again because he just got caught on a loop <laughs> yeah yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. that that is what he was uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. uh well We've been talking for quite a bit. We should wrap up. But uh, before you go, is there, you know, go plug your stuff. Go crazy. Oh, well, if you'd like, you can check out my channel. Uh, that is Board Game Captain doc, uh, Board Game Captain on YouTube. Captain is spelled with a K. Uh, I also have a website, which is BoardGameCaptain.com, which is a great hub for all things that have to do with me. All my social media is linked on there. My Facebook, where you can go friend me if you like. Just send me a message and let me know that you watch my videos and I'll accept the friend request. Uh, My Twitter, you can follow me. And my Instagram, where you can see pictures of board games I've been playing. And then, of course, you know, all my social media that is there. So feel free to check all that out. And again, that's Board Game Captain on YouTube. Captain spelled with a K. And there you can see Riley in person on my episodes that we do of Game Night Insight, which we're doing once a month, and we're going to try to have we're going to we're going to try to settle into the last Thursday of every month for that live stream. So you can also join us for those live streams to talk directly with us and discuss the chosen topic of the month with Riley, myself, Angela, and a special guest. We try to get a special guest every month for those episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Josh, for coming on. That was a lot of fun. Josh is awesome. We have a lot of fun doing the Board Game Insight, so go check that out. Go check out his other videos. I really appreciate when I can trust a reviewer to give their honest opinion. So there have been games that I was curious about, and he gave a very harsh review, and I appreciated hearing that because it's it's important to know that you know, they're not just going to feed you what you want to hear and give you a more realistic expectation of games. So go check out his videos. I'm not saying all his videos are that way. I'm just saying, well, all his videos you can trust. That's what I'm saying. And anyways, if you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, share it on social media, rate it, review it on Apple podcasts. That helps it get seen more. I appreciate everybody who's listening. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. 
the numbers have been growing, which is always fun to see. And I hope that they will continue to grow. Last week, I was on Organized Fun, and I played Alien, Fate of the Nostromo with Phil and Mark, and that was a lot of fun. It's such a cool podcast. If you've never listened to it, go check it out. Really great review podcast, and it was a blast getting to play and chat with them. We were very banterous, apparently, which is fun to listen to, I'd say. Another podcast that Phil and I do is Friend and Foe Adventure Co. It's an actual play podcast based on the Bunkers and Badasses TCRPG, which is the D&D version of Borderlands. And that is really funny, but it's also explicit. So if that's not your thing, don't worry about it. But if it is, go listen. It's really funny. If I do say so myself. And that's it. That's all I've got. So until next week, keep nerding. Oh, psych. One more thing. You can follow me on Twitter at RyleNerd. Email me, the Board Game Community Show. And that is it. Until next week, keep nerding out. Okay, so board games. Now, this isn't like a single memory or anything. But uh, like growing up, and this is something that just... uh, means a lot to me in general. So growing up, my mom and I didn't have a very close relationship. We weren't, uh, she didn't take a lot of interest in my interests and, and we were not, we were not very close. But now more lately, my mom has taken a lot of interest in wanting to make plans and hang out with us. And when she does, she takes an interest in playing board games with us. And that means a lot to me. That means a lot to me um, that she makes that effort, that she does that. Uh, and my, uh, my stepdad as well, who just passed away uh, about a month ago, um, also we would, uh, Lynn and I would go and we would hang out with my mom, my stepdad and, uh, play board games and have a great time and laugh and, um, and just enjoy ourselves and have some beers and, and, uh, and that experience, it's not a single story, but that experience has definitely meant a lot to me. Board games are a way that uh, they're a tool for connecting with people and sharing great memories with people that I think cannot be matched by anything else in my entire life. Mm-hmm.